before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The All-Star has passed. It is officially basketball season, and we are headed to the home stretch of both the college and pro hoops regular seasons. BetOnline is the number one place to stop for all the odds, totals, and player performance props. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it is of course a podcast welcome in everybody it is february 24th according to my count it may not be that according to your count we still appreciate you stopping in however And whenever it is, you may be stopping in. We are 870 episodes strong here on the Take It Easy podcast. And today, I finally have a day where we can talk about Deshaun Watson. Because I've been saying for a while that putting the Deshaun Watson stuff aside for a longer form conversation was something that I want I've been pushing off for months as we're all totally overworked and overstimulated by the NFL. Brian Flores lawsuit ends up taking center stage as we talk about race issues in the sport and now we talk about issues with gender and sex in the sport and what is really I think going to go down as this generation's defining story in sports. Is this Deshaun Watson case? which now has some developments over the past week that play into developments over the last two months that we haven't really talked about in a long-form conversation. Because there is a lot to unpack with this Deshaun Watson situation. As we're getting close to year two of this Deshaun Watson situation, the initial lawsuit evidence was being collected at this time last year and we're three weeks away from the date when the lawsuit went public in which 22 women came forward in a civil case, bringing about a civil charge against Deshaun Watson for sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, and in two cases, charging of criminal sexual, or investigation of criminal sexual assault. This is, this leads to obviously Deshaun Watson not playing for the entire season last year while still getting paid by the Houston Texans. The Texans essentially inactivate him For the entire season, the NFL doesn't put him on their exempt list. They make the story go away for what is one of their five most high-profile athletes. Like As much as Deshaun Watson has kind of been taken out of the conversation of elite quarterbacks, and I've done some of this sometimes as well, is not wanting to bring up the nuances of a Deshaun Watson football conversation So you just remove the conversation with him altogether because working in small windows with Deshaun Watson is really difficult to do. So today, I wanted to talk about the same three elements that we've been talking about all along with this case. Going all the way back to May of last year, we did a full podcast in July. We did a full podcast a week before the NFL season started. When we were figuring out the stuff, figuring out Deshaun Watson, we did a segment during the season around the trade deadline because it seemed insane that teams were trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. The same way we've been talking about this story for a year, break this down into the human element of the story and the ethical side of this story, the legal side of the story, and the NFL side of the story. And for the past year, one of the things I've wanted to make very clear is that the NFL part does not matter 
at this point. The football, where is Deshaun Watson going to end up? Put it to the side. But today I'm going to put it to the side and then bring it back, not as a where is Deshaun Watson going to end up, bring it into the conversation of power and of NFL organizations operating under the by any means necessary putting your morals and ethics aside conversation. So I'm going to lump that ethical conversation into the NFL category today because like we talked about yesterday with Walter Mitchell and Joe Camo, this is a conversation that's very interesting when it comes to power dynamics in the NFL and the what are the moral and ethical obligations of corporations based on public pressure. So we'll bring that into the mix later, but we're going to put the football part to the side for now. And we're going to put the legal side over for a minute. We're going to bring legal in in a second, but I first want to talk about the moral, ethical, and human side of this story, because this is a really important part to touch on, is that there are real victims in this story. Jenny Vrentas has done incredible reporting with this story over at Sports Illustrated in interviewing women both on record and off record and bringing together details and and bringing all of these stories to light and making this a human side because this is more than anything not a victimless crime. There are 22 victims who are willing to put their names and in some cases the risk of public backlash because the NFL fan base can be, well really an NFL fan base that is overwhelmingly men overwhelmingly in as i've talked about with instagram the nuances of this stuff of sports fans is overwhelmingly men overwhelmingly white men and overwhelmingly people with privilege coming out against the women who come forward in this case it is more so a public backing of the structures and systems of the nfl more than in this person who we knew when the women are faceless nameless and in many cases don't have the reputation of the powerful, famous person. And one of the easiest ways to sway public opinion is a smear campaign of the victims. And so there are real victims in this case. And in the recent development, we have nine of them are going to have their cases brought about in which Deshaun Watson is going to be asked to testify under oath. Now, of course, Deshaun Watson can always plead the fifth in this case. And it is a criminal, or I'm sorry, it is a civil suit so at this moment there's not enough with the criminal side we'll bring the legal side back in here in a minute but i did want to read a little bit of the reporting to refresh you about what this story is because it's really important to talk about how egregious some of this stuff is because we kind of forget about the fact that there are victims brought about so this was reported back in march of 2021 In the fall of 2019, Mary readied for an afternoon massage appointment with a client she had not worked with before. She was told in advance that he preferred to be covered with a towel instead of the standard sheets, so she pulled out the largest towel she had. He asked for a private entry, so she brought him up to her office through the building's back door. What she couldn't prepare for, though, was Deshaun Watson's conduct during their two-and-a-half-hour session. She said it was unlike anything she'd experienced from any other client she had treated. As of Monday, which is back in March of 2021, 19 civil suits against Watson filed by women from three different states are publicly available. That number is now up to 22. They allege that the Texans quarterback engaged in some form of sexual misconduct against them during a massage appointment, including exposing himself, purposefully touching them with his penis, ejaculating on them, or, in two of the complaints, forcing them to put their mouths on his penis. Watson has asserted he, quote, never treated any women with anything other than the utmost respect, his attorney Rusty Hardin said. I believe any allegation that Watson forced a woman to commit a sexual act is completely false. Hardin's statement includes a claim that they have proof of previous extortion attempts by one of the plaintiffs, etc., etc. Mary, though, is not one of Busby's plaintiffs. Sports Illustrated initially contact, initiated contact with her before learning she had worked with Watson, a session that predates the timelines detailed in any of the lawsuits. She is a licensed massage therapist who owns her own business in Houston. Sports Illustrated agreed to Mary's request for anonymity to protect her privacy and her business. We are referring to her by an Elias. 
She told Sports Illustrated that she is sharing a public testimony, her account of Watson's behavior, with the hope of preventing this from happening to any other professionals in her industry. In an effort to corroborate Mary's account, SI reviewed text and social media messages and interviewed a family member Mary spoke to in the immediate aftermath of the session. That family member's account was consistent with Mary's. In response to an email detailing Mary's account, Harding said in a phone call, We are just not in any position to comment in any way on another anonymous story or complaint. As Harden and Busby, the latter through frequent updates on Instagram and press conference on March 19th, 2021, have traded accusations publicly, Mary remains unsure as to whether she'll pursue legal action. She contacted Busby's firm after the first complaints were filed, but says she felt pressured to sign a contract for them to represent her and declined. She is working with U.A. Lewis, a civil rights attorney, to explore her options. Quote, the one thing I keep thinking about is he's about to get traded to another place. What if he goes to Atlanta or California or anywhere else? He would have a whole new community of massage therapists to target. Moreover, Watson's blanket denial of ever treating women with disrespect helps spur Mary to speak up and lend her voice as a witness. Quote, more than anything, the fact he's denying all the allegations makes it more of a reason for us to use our voice and say what we have to say. Mary also wants the information she is sharing to spur Watson to get help and to be used in a way that helps establish a higher respect for the massage therapy profession, which she and many of her colleagues enter into with the goal of helping people. Mary makes clear that Watson did not touch her, nor did he force her into conducting any sexual acts. But she says she did engage, he did engage in behavior that was both inappropriate and unlike any other interaction she's had with any of her more than 1,000 clients, including other professional athletes. She met Watson when he arrived at her rented office space in the fall of 2019. His appointment, originally for a 90-minute massage, was booked through another massage therapist in the area. Mary didn't know the client would be Watson until about 15 minutes before the appointment, which she says was routine when she received a referral. The other therapist also relayed what she presented as a standard request for Watson to use a towel for the session rather than sheets. Mary pulled out a beach-sized towel for maximum coverage. When Mary books clients, she requests them to fill out an intake form, which stipulates that draping will be used during the session so that only the area being worked on will not be covered. The Texas Commission of License and Re Licensing and Regulation adopted in February 2020 a requirement that genitalia and the glute cleavage must be draped during massages. Most licensed therapists already require this in their practice. Since Watson's appointment was set up through a third party, Mary's understanding was that the other therapist would handle the paperwork, though she can't say for certain whether Watson received or reviewed those rules. She used the oversized towel to drape him until about 45 minutes into the session when she says he tossed the towel onto the floor, saying it was too itchy. Watson was lying face up on the table, naked and totally uncovered, something Mary says has never happened during any of her other massage appointments. Quote, I was in shock, Mary said. She proceeded with the massage without the towel, knowing that her payment was coming from another therapist. I trusted the therapist that referred him to me that nothing weird was going to happen. After 90 minutes, Watson asked to extend the session for another hour. She continued to work on only his quads, inner thighs, and abdomen, the specific areas he requested. Watson developed an erection, she says, and also began clenching and slowly thrusting in the air. Mary at first wondered whether his movements were a pain response to her deep tissue work, so she asked whether he was okay. She says he replied that he was fine and stopped thrusting for a short time. Mary learned during her massage training that erections can develop as a relaxation response. She recalls situations in the past when that's happened to a client when they dozed off. They usually become embarrassed when they realize it and start talking about something random to divert their thoughts. If that doesn't work, she'll sometimes switch to a more painful massage technique. But Watson's behavior indicated to her that, quote, his intentions were different. There was one point that he did tell me that I could move his genitalia if I needed to, and I just completely ignored him. She took this as a suggestion to touch his exposed penis. Watson stayed on his back for the entire session. 
While massaging his abdomen, Mary says she noticed different fluids on his stomach. She remembers questioning whether it was really pre-ejaculate, telling herself, this can't be what I think it is. In the final five to ten minutes of the session, Mary says Watson began thrusting his pelvis in the air again, this time much faster. Quote, at that point, I recognized it was for what it was. Mary says she told him he needed to calm down. He stopped, the session ended, and she left the room to let him get dressed. When she returned, he gave her a hug. Because of his request to use the back entrance, she then had to walk him out of the building. Mary says she immediately told other massage the other massage therapist, who had referred Watson, everything that had happened. She remembers the other therapist telling her she would talk to Watson. Mary also called a family member directly following the session. SI spoke to this relative who remembers taking Mary's call that afternoon at a stoplight at a specific intersection in Houston. The relative's account of what Mary told her then aligns with Mary's description of the incident now. She also recalls Mary's shock and disbelief that day, as she described what she believed to be the pre-ejaculatory fluid on his stomach and his suggestion for her to touch and move his penis. They were both stunned that she and the business she'd worked hard to build had been disrespected in this way. The full story with Jenny Vrentas was done in March of 2021. You can read the full article. I got most of it, but you can read the full article with the link in this episode. Also, I want to play a clip from the press conference originally announcing the lawsuit. This is Ashley Solis, who is one of the victims pursuing charges against Deshaun Watson and bringing her name public in this case. Uh, this is courtesy of KPRC Channel 2 in Houston. This is Ashley Solis detailing her interaction with Deshaun Watson. I was afraid. I'm not afraid anymore. And I do exist. I'm here to take back, uh, take back the power and take back control. I am a survivor of assault and harassment. LaShawn Watson is my assaulter and my harasser. LaShawn Watson assaulted and harassed me on March 30th, 2020, in my own home, doing what I love most, massage therapy. I am a licensed massage therapist. Now that that, that profession that I love so much, has been forever tainted. I'm deeply saddened, but not surprised to see so much victim blaming in the press and by online commenters. And they have absolutely no idea what I'm going through or what happened to me. No idea. This incident has impacted me in many ways, and those ways are hard to describe. I feel a range of emotions, guilt, embarrassment, shame, Courage, anger, sadness, and numbness. Some days I feel like a hero. Other days I feel like a failure. So this brings us back to the legal aspects of the Deshaun Watson situation. There are 22 women filing civil suits against Deshaun Watson and two women filing criminal sexual assault charges against Deshaun Watson. Now, there is an important distinction between civil court and criminal court that we will make throughout this. So let's just write on the front end just a quick refresher of sorts or people who are new to the podcast. In a criminal case, you have to prove with 100% certainty with a jury of your peers beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are guilty of a crime. And in the case of criminal sexual assault in the state of Texas, there's an incredibly high bar relative to the rest of the country. In the civil cases, you need to be proven more culpable than not. So 51% likely to be a, a party that is offending in this case and therefore need to pay damages to the person, which is usually in money. In this case, it'll be money coming to Deshaun Watson. And this is a really difficult part, is that sometimes defenses use civil suits and the idea of getting money as a way to 
shame and blame the victims for coming forward or to deter victims from coming forward against powerful people because they're in it for the money and they're trying to give Deshaun Watson a run for his money and because he's rich and powerful they can bring charges against him and so Deshaun Watson's case is this is how the smearing begins and this is a really complex issue by the way is what the money represents more than what the money actually is this is an important distinction that's difficult. Deshaun Watson is a very powerful person because he has infinite resources to fight this case. From a football standpoint, if Deshaun Watson had not been one of the most, or if not the most valuable trade asset to ever become available in the NFL prior to this lawsuit being filed, he would have been cut by an NFL team for this reason. But because of how skilled he is as a football player, it accrues him a level of power that keeps him employed by the Houston Texans and left in this purgatory. So the, the civil case being filed against Deshaun Watson needs to just prove culpability more likely than not. And when there are 22 women coming forward against Deshaun Watson and dozens more who are not coming forward, we assume, because this is the case in a lot of these uh, criminal slash civil court cases brought against powerful people is we only know what we know. We don't know what we don't know of how many people are not coming forward in this case. We also know that Deshaun Watson and uh, Rusty Harden, his lawyer, brought 40 massage therapists in to vouch for Deshaun Watson, which was a weird way of giving yourself a vouching. So Deshaun Watson has seen a lot of massage therapists is the conclusion that we can find here. And so one of the things that's interesting about the civil court case at this point is that just this week it was announced that nine of the 22 women's cases will be allowing Watson to testify under oath. And this was something that maybe wasn't expected before because in all honesty, I thought Deshaun Watson would be able to settle this case out before it proceeds within the civil courts, before before it proceeds into a civil trial. And so Deshaun Watson hasn't settled the case because not enough women have been willing to settle. This will ultimately end in a settlement, more likely than not, unless we bring criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. Now, the deadline to complete the investigation into Deshaun Watson is on April 1st. The lawyer for Deshaun Watson, Rusty Harden, petitioned for his deposition to be pushed back after April 1st because it is setting it up in a way where Rusty Harden could then pivot to there is no criminal case being filed here and you can win a public relations battle of we are not we don't have a the criminal investigation proved nothing exoneration exoneration for Deshaun Watson the rest of this is money of sorts that's kind of the way that this is being viewed in the eyes of Rusty Harden and how this can be spun into a public relations victory for Deshaun Watson among people who don't really understand how the case works and the nuances of civil court which by the way I barely understand but I understand enough of what not looking at it and being skeptical or antagonistic towards the women coming forward instead to be antagonistic towards the perpetrator if anyone needs to be antagonistic and to honor and respect the women who are bravely coming forward in this case for however they choose to settle out the case because Deshaun Watson can make them offers that they simply cannot refuse this is what rich and powerful people can do all the time which we will talk about later once we get to the NFL side of this as well so the two cases that are being criminally investigated will need to be concluded by April 1st. Depositions for the women in the case have already been taken. Deshaun Watson's is expected to be taken sometime in the next couple weeks before April 1st when we find out the resolution or whether or not criminal charges will be brought against Deshaun Watson. Legal experts have suggested that based on the public information that we know about the women's cases, it seems, and uh, sorry, the public information we know about the women's cases and the high bar for sexual assault in the state of Texas, it's, it, it requires a higher bar to, pre, to bring charges against someone. It is more likely than not that Deshaun Watson will not face criminal charges in this case. Now, again, this isn't to say 
that Deshaun Watson is not going to get criminal charges. It's just that legal analysts doing this don't have all the information that the lawyers and prosecutors have in this case. We only know what has become public at this point and maybe someone who has connections within the case. But more likely than not, from what we know, Deshaun Watson will not have criminal charges brought against him. This We only know what we know at this point in the case. And maybe it's a little difficult to speculate on this. But it's important to look at this because April 1st appears to be at this point a pivotal moment in this Deshaun Watson case because then we will find out whether or not Deshaun Watson faces criminal charges and, you know, the bar for criminal sexual assault in Texas potentially leads to jail time for Deshaun Watson if he's end up, if he becomes found guilty. Deshaun, but if he doesn't become get found guilty, there will still be an ongoing legal investigation that will then drag out the case longer and ultimately lead to the NFL needing to take action against Watson with some sort of suspension, which might already happen anyways because there's a simultaneous NFL investigation at the same time, and I assume Watson will get some level of a suspension for this. But that's NFL jurisdiction more than legal jurisdiction at this point. What's interesting about this case as it moves forward is Deshaun Watson reportedly had a chance to settle with 18 of the 22 victims back at the trade deadline. Deshaun Watson ended up not being able to settle with all 22, and that was a deal breaker for the Miami Dolphins. Now, more people may be willing to settle now. Watson's team may have come back with a lower offer, and therefore less people are willing to settle at this point. Courtesy of Mike Florio last December, Per a source with knowledge of the situation, 18 of the 22 plaintiffs suing Deshaun Watson for sexual misconduct during massage therapy sessions were ready to settle with him in late October. Four holdouts prevented a deal from getting done with the Miami Dolphins. So I don't know if the offer has gotten lower at this point and therefore less women are likely to or Watson is letting depositions proceed forward and those women want to have a civil trial regardless of whether or not they feel they can win or lose the case or whatever the best possible legal advice part that I don't understand from a legal standpoint. So that part we know is public at this point that they were relatively close to a settlement before and this will ultimately end in a settlement. When it happens, we're not exactly sure, but this brings it back towards the NFL point of view, which is Deshaun Watson can settle out later, but as long as the criminal case has been resolved, Rusty Harden has said publicly that you NFL teams can point to that exoneration and feel better about trading for Deshaun Watson, which is part of how Rusty Harden is setting up this victory for the public relations battle of Deshaun Watson. Rusty Harden believes that the criminal case concluding will, quote, provide clarity for NFL teams as a first step towards a resolution with Watson. But this is setting it up such that when the criminal charges aren't filed against Watson, or the criminal investigation proves that no charges were filed against Watson, which again, more likely than not, not a guarantee at this point, if the criminal charges are filed, it changes the nature of this conversation, something we've prepared for in the back of our mind for a year, and we'll drag this out late into 2022 when a criminal trial can then be scheduled against Deshaun Watson. So Rusty Harden is setting this up such that if and when criminal charges aren't filed, teams can now go back and say, we know he will settle eventually and we'll be able to clear the situation. And realistically, Deshaun Watson could have played last year because he was never placed on the NFL exempt list or given a suspension by the league. The settlement would have come it would have given the Dolphins a level of clarity before the situation so that they could play him and or the NFL place him on the exempt list. And Deshaun Watson could have completed this with a relatively little measure of accountability. And this is a whole conversation about how does someone in this situation find accountability for Deshaun Watson, which we'll talk about 
in a second. So legally, depositions have already been taken for the women at this point, or for most of the women. Watson's going to have a deposition in front of a lawyer where he is going to, I guess, state his side of the case, and then they will proceed with a early May to mid-May uh, pre-trial. So that will be the next state for what will, or the next stage of what would be the criminal cases early May, which bringing it back to an NFL standpoint suggests that if NFL teams weren't willing to trade for Watson now, they might not be willing to trade for him even after the NFL draft and free agency and things of these sorts. Now, I don't want to have a which team is going to acquire Deshaun Watson story here, but one of the stories that came in a couple months ago from Mike Florio, where we all where we learned that 18 of the 22 victims were willing to settle with Watson, was also this tidbit note from Florio that I wanted to dissect a little bit here. The Carolina Panthers were willing to trade for Watson with or without a settlement, but Watson would not waive his no-trade clause to join the Carolina Panthers in October. The Miami Dolphins were requiring a settlement and tried to pressure the women into agreeing to a settlement at the October trading deadline as an intervention point from another corporation. This now makes two corporations and a gigantic economy in Deshaun Watson intervening in this case on behalf of the accuser. And so it's incredibly difficult for people in power to for people in power to re, to meet a level of accountability because they have infinite resources and if they have the will they can make it go away. And Watson hasn't quite been able to make it go away, but this is an unprecedented situation that like I said could and should be this generation's defining sports story. And so Deshaun Watson finds himself in a situation where he is at this incredible intersection of multiple things that we've never seen. A player this valuable never becoming available for trade, not just because of all the charges being brought against him, but also from the fact that he just was adamant in leaving Houston before all of that happened. And he has a no-trade clause. And he's one of the five best players in the NFL in his mid-20s. And he's also facing unprecedented charges against him that still to this day, even if it's less likely than not, could lead to a criminal prosecution against him. And so this is where it's interesting from an NFL team standpoint, which is we know that as a corporation, the job of people in NFL front offices and NFL ownership is to make any move necessary based on risk calculation and pure benefit to the franchise. The Miami Dolphins did their calculation and said the negative public relations of trading for Deshaun Watson would equal whatever value we get for him. We will accept the negative PR. We will accept protests outside the stadiums. You will accept from me not accepting your business anymore and hopefully other NFL fans not accepting the business of the Miami Dolphins in exchange for getting a generational quarterback in his 20s under contract for the next four years, traded for draft picks that we stole from the Houston Texans in a Laramie Tunsil trade. The Carolina Panthers did the evaluation and they said, we will accept the negative PR hit even without a settlement to get that quarterback. And Deshaun Watson decided he wasn't going to do that. And so everyone else has sat on the fence, presumably, or everyone has done their calculation and decided they don't want to touch that situation or they don't want to get involved here. There was also the report after Tom Brady retired that Tampa Bay was doing their due diligence on Deshaun Watson, which was clearly a leaked report out of Tampa Bay to, to test the waters on how people felt about Deshaun Watson. I think the Vikings were also in the mix there too, just to test the waters of public backlash to talking about the idea of acquiring Deshaun Watson, which was obviously going to be a negative PR hit for Tampa. Tampa just wanted to see how negative the PR hit was going to be. Every single NFL team does not necessarily operate under a moral conscience. They operate under a pure business slash capitalistic point of view, which is we will do what is best 
for our bottom line and for our organization, be damned of the results and be damned of the consequences. We are doing a risk to reward calculation, pure and simple. And if you're not going to be the team that does it, you're going to be the team that loses to the other team that does the risk reward calculation. As we can talk about with the Houston Astros all the way on down. Houston Astros are the great dynasty of baseball and also compromised a lot of morals. Brandon Tobin down to Jeff Lunau all the way across to the cheating scandal broke a lot of moral ground and won a lot of freaking games because if you're not willing to go over the line someone else is willing to go over the line and only shame and threat of punishment will be the deterrent and you know negative consequences in this case other teams can spin it into a victory and say we will not trade for Deshaun Watson and everyone to this point has said we will not trade for Deshaun Watson because they are doing the risk-reward calculation. And Deshaun Watson has a lot of power and leverage in this situation as well. As much as it's kind of gross to think about, Deshaun Watson has a full no-trade clause and can go to any team he wants for the next 10 years of his career. Deshaun Watson and the teams that aren't going to do it, be damned to them because there's a whole lot of teams that would sign up for Deshaun Watson tomorrow if he settled that lawsuit. And so teams like the Dolphins and the Panthers and the Buccaneers are trying to get a competitive advantage by wooing Watson in essence by saying, look, we are backing you up all the way through and through. We got you. We are backing you up. Look at us standing behind you and supporting you in your darkest hour you should come play for our team. They're in essence wooing Watson, and I don't know if that does anything for Watson or if he finds value in people, quote-unquote, standing behind him in his darkest hour, even though no one stood behind him publicly, at least, in the last year, except for the Miami Dolphins, who have may or may not be working behind the scenes to acquire Watson for damn near a year now. All of this is a calculation of power, of risk versus reward, for NFL teams. Sometimes we get the morally right decision out of it, and teams know that, and they can spin that into victories because they're incredibly smart when it comes to public relations. When Brian Flores is adamant, we will not trade for Deshaun Watson, you can spin that into a public relations victory, even though Brian Flores was reportedly the one working behind the scenes hard to acquire Deshaun Watson. You can spin these into victories of saying, we are going to take the easy moral stance of we refuse to trade for a sexual predator when you weren't going to get him anyways and you did the risk reward if you were in a position where he might waive his no trade clause you were doing the risk reward calculation on so how much negative publicity are we willing to absorb and for the Miami Dolphins for right or for wrong that meant not making him settle out the case and then trading for him so you could spin it into a victory of, look, he resolved his legal case, settlements were paid out, criminal charges not brought, and we have resolved the situation, which is incredibly gross and morally unethical because the timeline of victims' pain should not correlate to when a trade deadline is about to pass in professional football. It's incredibly gross to think about victims of sexual harassment and sexual assault as pawns in being moved around an arbitrary NFL trade deadline. But at the same time, if you aren't going to do it, someone else will. And come two years from now, that team will beat you with Deshaun Watson. So this is the difference between morally righteous and, and the morally ideal and the morally so this is operating within the ideal and the practical, the morally ideal and the morally practical. Some teams, and possibly your favorite team, is spinning this into a victory of saying, well, we will not trade for a sexual predator when we are the Minnesota Vikings and have no chance to acquire him in the first place. The biggest L is for David Tepa, Tepas, who is the owner of the Carolina Panthers, who we're learning in his first three years of ownership, might be kind of incompetent. David Tepas ended up being the guy who was going to trade for Deshaun Watson anyways, even though he had no chance. So he got the negative PR of will trade for Deshaun Watson, even without a settlement with these women. We're cool actively trading for a sexual predator if it means winning football games and selling jerseys. We'll trade for a sexual predator 
and trade Christian McCaffrey and three first-round picks to do so, except he doesn't want to play for us anyways, so we never even had a chance to get him because of the no-trade clause, so we get all of the negative PR and none of the results. So, Teppers, you take the biggest L. Maybe it's a learning experience for you, but you're a billionaire worth $10 billion. Not quite sure it's going to be the same learning experience, especially when it looks like you might be a bit of an inept owner, like a lot of these owners are. Miami, you decided, for right or for wrong, that you know we're, we're not okay trading for a sexual predator with an active case available, but if he settles out of court with four more people, then all of a sudden, he's okay for us to trade for. Do your due diligence on that how you will. I'm not sure how Miami calculated that. No matter what, it's more it's morally wrong in the in the ideal, but practically Miami tried to get a competitive advantage over everyone else. And as we just saw with Brian Flores, if you aren't the one willing to get the competitive advantage, you will be the one out the door. And as we're seeing with Stephen Ross right now in relation to the Brian Flores lawsuit, Stephen Ross is willing to pay a hundred thousand dollars per loss for the competitive advantage of acquiring Joe Burrow in the NFL draft and destroying Brian Flores' coaching career and chance of getting another head coaching job. And so all of this points back to what obligation do NFL teams have morally to do the right thing in positions of power? Because NFL each NFL franchise is a corporation, and the NFL as a whole is a mega conglomerate corporation worth $70 billion single-handedly keeping the cable television industry alive, as we see Troy Aikman's about to go sign with ESPN for $15 million a year. The NFL as a corporation is going to do what is in the best interest of them financially and for the public relations of the league. It's why they benefited from the Houston Texans essentially just putting Deshaun Watson on the side. There was no reason the Texans couldn't play Deshaun Watson last season. The NFL didn't put him on the exempt list because they didn't want this situation coming back to light. And the NFL essentially had one year of Deshaun Watson having a paid leave. And there is no precedent for what kind of accountability Deshaun Watson should have in this case. So if the legal system doesn't have a bar for this thing, for measuring accountability, because as flawed as the legal system is in America, this is a really complex and nuanced situation to figure out, is what, in a civil court case, what the money represents, and, you know, getting into a case where how much can your trauma get you is really difficult. And like I said before, it's really difficult to do the analysis here, but the thing I know for sure to not do is to antagonize the women who are or I'm sorry, antagonize the women who are victims in this case and trying to receive some measure of accountability. If Deshaun Watson is not going to go to jail, which again, more likely than not, according to legal experts based on the information that's presented right now, if Deshaun Watson's not going to face criminal prosecution, Deshaun Watson could at least face some level of financial prosecution, is that losing money is a way of paying this back. They, the NFL fined Dan Snyder $10 million. People pay fines all the time, even if um, Purdue Pharmaceuticals only had to pay about 10% of their revenue generated from OxyContin in their Supreme Court lawsuit, which ended up funding the second, which ended up being the uh, beginning point for the second, uh, damn it, what a second Oxycontin uh, wave, I suppose, uh, opioid crisis, the second opioid crisis. That was a stumbling way to get there. Yes, financial compensation can be a deterrent for behaviors because people don't like losing money. And another way of punishing, which is kind of the last step along the line when powerful people can get around systems of government and systems of accountability because you are powerful and have resources and have power, you can get around the laws. Because of this situation, we then sometimes point to employers, corporations, because of the power that they exert. We look to corporations and we look to employers and ultimately we look to the consumers to give a measure of accountability when rich and powerful people don't face consequences. 
And ultimately, it would be easier for us to have someone else take the responsibility of being moral arbiters out of our hands. And I don't know exactly what is a fair and appropriate punishment for Deshaun Watson. If you if someone argued that six weeks of paid leave was fair compensation, I'd be less likely to agree with you because of who is articulating this point. And if someone wants to argue that Deshaun Watson should be suspended for a full season and have a year of paid leave and miss two seasons of his prime playing in the NFL for his crimes, I understand that case as well. I don't know where the moral arbitration is on this. And quite frankly, the moral arbitration is a morally practical decision instead of a morally ideal situation. Like we talked about earlier, there's the moral ideal of measures of accountability, not just through the legal system, but financial compensation for powerful people committing actions against vulnerable people who are victims in this situation, not just a powerful man against powerless women, but also a powerful person against someone without power. We have a morally righteous situation and the practical, which is the NFL is going to give down exactly the suspension that they can get away with and people will find it the least upsetting on either side, which ultimately is leaning more so towards excessive punishment because lackadaisical punishment is going to create a media hellstorm for the NFL, as it should, but a strong punishment is going to uh, create less of a storm because it is closer to the right thing. But we don't know exactly what the right thing is. It's impossible to figure this situation out. And so being a moral arbiter on this situation is not the job of NFL teams or the NFL. But the NFL wants to be in this game because they want people to believe that they are a morally righteous league that stands for fighting racism and also supporting our troops. And because of this, they have to be moral arbiters on these issues especially when it comes to players. When it comes to owners, they will absorb as much of a negative PR hit as they can possibly take. But when it comes to players, it is an easy victory for NFL teams to engage in this con- engage in punishment of players because people will overwhelmingly applaud the law and order system of the NFL. They tried this with Ray Rice. They failed spectacularly. They tried it with Adrian Peterson with the creation of exempt list. People felt it was a little egregious. Ezekiel Elliott got a five-game suspension, way too high of a suspension, but it was making an example out of the sport. Tom Brady gets four games for deflating footballs. Josh Brown, who commits felony uh, felony domestic assault, gets one game from the Giants. Ezekiel Elliott, with some washy claims by one woman, gets five games because it is, is an example-making move by Roger Goodell. The NFL is doing this based on public relations the same way all of these corporations hand out punishments as moral arbiters based on public relations because it is beneficial for them to be moral arbiters because you don't need to get actual legal moral arbiters involved in your cases and by the way it's good for business and so this is the problem with the practical versus the uh uh, the um (laughs) the morally practical versus the morally ideal we have no accountability system to look for on this Someone is going to trade for Deshaun Watson eventually. Maybe it's after April 1st when the criminal case is resolved. Maybe it's in May. Maybe it's before. We don't really know. It's going to happen at some point. And everything in this case is constantly evolving and taking a lot longer than even I thought because I thought Watson would want to make this go away and would pay any amount to make this go away. And it seems there may not be any amount in some of these cases, which is creating a dragging out process for this case. And so that is the best I can do in spending an hour trying to analyze this Deshaun Watson situation with nuance and perspective and taking in the legal aspects, the moral aspects, as well as uh, the football aspects of power and accountability systems, not just for employers, but also when it comes to really us as consumers, because assuming most of us are not CEOs of corporations, most of us are consumers of sports leagues and most likely the NFL. And so what do we do with our dollars 
as a measure of accountability. It's a small measure of accountability, but it is a measure of accountability. Don't buy Washington racial slurs merchandise is an easy one. This one's a little more complex because all of the teams are doing the same calculus of how many people are going to be moral arbiters. And maybe being unpredictable is the best way to create a moral arbitration of the consumer when legal systems fail to create accountability, when financial systems fail to create accountability, and when employers fail to create a measure of accountability. It's not anyone's fault. It's just the systems that we inherited and we'll see how it ends up progressing this time around. Although we have hundreds of years to evidence to suggest all of these accountability systems are really flawed at holding powerful people accountable for their actions. So thank you for stopping in here today. I appreciate each and every one of you for giving us your time and for talking out this issue and listening with myself. If you have any thoughts, drop them below in a comment section of Apple podcast, or you can send me a DM, take it easy podcast on Instagram or CSM memes, Insta on Twitter. Uh, Check out our YouTube. All that stuff's in the link to this episode. You can check that stuff out if you want to talk about this stuff. And with that being said, take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. New sponsor alert, people. It's the good people over at Athletic Greens supporting this podcast. You can get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens with one scoop a day of Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has a special blend of ingredients that support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, boost your energy, as well as improving recovery times. You can reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. One scoop in a cup of water, and that's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at athleticgreens.com slash By the way, the link to that is in the description to this episode. Go to athleticgreens.com slash and use our promo code at checkout. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Can you think of anything better than peace of mind? I'm sure I could come up with a couple, but the point still stands. NordVPN is here to give you peace of mind while you are online. With all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure you have the best VPN that you can get. You can get NordVPN on all of your computers and devices. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. Plans start as low as $4 per month. And if you sign up today with the exclusive promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, you can get 70% off your NordVPN plan and one additional month free. NordVPN is risk-free for 30 days. You will get your money back no matter what. To make it a little easier, use the link in the description to this episode to go to nordvpn.com slash